0: Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robison, joined by my co-host, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. Well, as the philosopher Ferris Bueller once noted, life comes at you fast. As recently as two weeks ago, the question in Congress was whether Democrats could even wring any small wins out of their year-long effort to strike a budget deal, while the larger political conversation continued to be about just how badly the 2022 midterms would go. Suddenly, we got a bolt from the blue, so to speak, an announcement of a far-reaching and historically significant deal that includes an ambitious program to fight global warming, tame inflation, cut spending, and reduce healthcare costs for middle-class and working Americans. The Senate passage of the Inflation Reduction Act caps a surprisingly successful summer for President Biden and congressional Democrats, in which they passed major legislation to help veterans exposed to toxins, to increase manufacturing competitiveness against China, a bipartisan deal to rein in gun violence, not to mention President Biden holding together the Western alliance against Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine, plus adding two new members to NATO, and taking out the world's number one terrorist. So how much change are we now going to see politically? Has the picture changed for the midterms? And how important is the Inflation Reduction Act going to be in driving any of that change in the fall campaigns? Our guest is Naveen Nayak, president of the Center for American Progress Action Fund, one of the major organizations that focuses on how policy impacts politics. He previously served as the director of opinion research for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, And you may recognize him from his numerous television program appearances, including on CNN's Crossfire and MSNBC's Hardball. Naveen, welcome to Beyond Politics. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's delightful to have you. And it's actually delightful to talk about something that's good news (laughs) for Democrats for once. It seems like the overwhelming narrative for the past year has been Democrats in disarray, in no small part because of the Build Back better built. It seemed to me, and I think to a lot of political commentators, that the basic problem with Build Back Better was that it was kind of a mashup of what were individually popular policies. And the theory among Democrats seemed to be, look, if you take a bunch of good ingredients like nuts and gum and beef and ice cream, and you put them all into a stew, people will want to eat that, right? And it turns out that eh, not so much... It was too much, really, for people to swallow. It was too big a price tag, a little too confusing. People didn't really understand what was in it. And now we have the Inflation Reduction Act, which I refuse to acronym to the IRA because that's confusing too. We have the Inflation Reduction Act. It's much simpler, it's a lot more focused, and it actually cuts spending. So I guess my question to you is is it going to be politically more effective?
1: I think there's no question it will be. I think the Name in and of itself is really important, actually, because if people hear anything but what Democrats have done, the news coverage is going to be they just passed the Inflation Reduction Act. And we know that the top concern for voters right now is inflation. It's the economy broadly, but specifically its costs rising and inflation. And the fact that they are hearing Democrats are focused on inflation and doing something about inflation is by enough, by and large, itself a huge political win for Democrats on that front. And then I think when you start to dig into the actual components of it, it's incredibly, the first thing is lowering prescription drug prices for for seniors and people on Medicare and lowering healthcare costs more broadly for people on the ACA. And that's, Americans don't really blame Democrats for inflation. The data is really clear that they think that this is a global phenomenon, that it's driven by the pandemic and supply chains. They just want to know that Democrats want to do something about it (laughs) and that they actually are doing something to lower their costs. And like the average American doesn't sit there and think about how to solve inflation. They just want to know, can they afford the things they need in their lives? And a lot of things have gotten too expensive in the last year, particularly. So for Democrats to come in and say, hey, we're going to cap prescription drug costs for seniors, people living on a fixed income, that's a huge win. For Democrats to say that fuel prices are driving the rise in inflation. The biggest driver right now of inflation is the increase in fuel costs. And guess what? We're making this huge investment to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels, to make more clean energy here at home. And it's going to save every American. And there's these very tangible rebates that like people can go and buy things that they couldn't otherwise afford to lower costs for energy in their homes, to make their homes more efficient, to get more efficient vehicles. And so it's very tangible. It goes right at sort of the core concern Americans have today.
0: So let me just push you on that for, for just a second, because Carl Rove, who is known for being a straight shooter, opined in the Wall Street Journal that I'm going to quote here, Democrats are pumping this latest Build Back Better incarnation big time, hoping it'll be the life raft they need but he says that he thinks the bill can be easily picked apart and turned into an albatross. And I'm having text conversations with Republican friends of mine, because I still maintain Republican friendships. It's weird. And what they're telling me is, Matt, you are going to wake up eventually and find that you're Keanu Reeves. You're attached to tubes. You've been living in the matrix. You are in a liberal bubble where you think that this is actually politically good for you. Because all voters are going to hear is another big bill out of Washington with liberal priorities and a bunch of zeros behind it. Doesn't matter if the math ends up to be cutting the deficit. They're just going to hear more big Washington programs and spending. That's going to hurt Democrats. So am I Keanu Reeves or is Karl Rove's Keanu Reeves? It is who's fooling themselves. <laughs> I. I think that
1: Republicans are going to lie about this bill, right? Like that, that playbook is clearer. Doesn't matter what the actual bill does. The Republican talking points don't change. And so that is the reality. I think they're fooling themselves. And I'll be honest, the best way to, to, to know that, they don't know what to say. Since this thing leaked 10 days ago, almost really t- 10 days ago, they've been all over the place. Like, are we We're attacking them for the investment in the IRS, cracking down on tax cheats. And they're trying to tell a story about how they're going to put 80, they're going to have the IRS come after you. They're tacking it as a huge spending bill, except that it's fully paid for. So I actually think you see them trying to change their attack on the bill. And I'll go further. They are really going to have to struggle to explain why they opposed something that has 90% popularity. The notion of Medicare negotiating prescription drug prices is off the charts popular. And I think every Republican is going to have to explain why they don't think Medicare should be able to get lower prices. Second, and it's a maneuver, tactical maneuver by the brilliant Chuck Schumer at this point, but the majority of the Republican caucus voted against capping insulin at $35, Every American who relies on insulin could have had their insulin capped at $35, but for Republicans stripping that out of the bill last night. So I, I actually think the conversation around this is a real problem for Republicans. Not only have they, not only have Democrats accomplished something that I think they're going to feel really proud about touting, I actually think Republicans have taken on a new vulnerability by opposing this bill. And being able to justify why don't they think every corporation should pay at least 15%? That's the main that's the main revenue raiser here. It was basically saying the corporations that earn a billion dollars in profit should pay at least 15%. Republicans voted against that. So I actually think the way this shook out is not only a huge win for Democrats, I actually think it's another new major vulnerability. And The tide has really turned in the last few months, particularly since Dobbs was leaked and then overturned, or Roe was overturned, where the the level of vulnerabilities for Republicans have really started to increase, and I think Democrats are starting to notch a real narrative of whose side they're on and how they're actually working to improve people's lives.
2: You Naveen, I'm a former frontline member of Congress. I was in a tight race in a swing district for Congress. Matt was actually the campaign manager in 2021 for the most endangered democratic incumbent in the country. So I wonder, sort of stepping back, in the end, I'm not sure how much legislative accomplishments actually matter in campaigns where even with the good news for Democrats, is passing some Washington bill? Is it gonna matter? I mean, is there enough bad stuff we can say about Republicans in here? Do we just use this really as a look at what these bad guys voted against without even bothering? Do legislative accomplishments matter?
1: I think your your question is a really good one, Congressman. I think we shouldn't be out there talking about legislation. I don't think that's the truth of the matter is when when president biden signs this bill next week every american who's struggling is going to wake up the next morning facing the same challenges. So it's not that we should pretend like we have solved people's problems, but elections are choices. And and that that part has not changed. <clears throat> and i don't think it is the legislation that we have to sell. I think it is whose side we're on and what we are trying to accomplish and sort of the values at the core of our legislation that we have got to sell. And there is a really compelling story, not only with this bill, but take the gun violence, the, the gun violence bill that passed, right? The Gun Violence Reduction Act. We did not solve the problem of gun violence in this country. We are unfortunately going to continue to have mass shootings in this country. But Democrats have the ability to go up there and say, we stood up to the gun lobby and we have made progress to close a set of loopholes that made it easier for people who want to commit crimes to get a gun. And I think that is a stance around our values and what we're fighting for. And on the other side, MAGA Republicans, the vast majority of them oppose that bill and worse are actually passing laws in states to make it easier for people to access these weapons. And so I I think at the core of it, it's not about the Inflation Reduction Act or the name of these legislations. I I think it gives every Democrat a chance to not just say, hey, I promised to do this, but actually we got something done. And here's, here's the values at the core of it
2: that are really important. Let me just follow up quickly, because a challenge that Democrats seem to face perennially, which is... What do we stand for as Democrats and how do we rebut whatever the Republicans say about us and and say in a very clear, concise, emotionally resonant way, this is what Democrats stand for and this is why you ought to vote for Democrats. Do you see the recent Democratic successes over the past few weeks and and during this Biden administration as, as creating the ability for Democrats to double down on the message about our values and simply put what we stand for in a way that can actually move independents and, and other folks?
1: I do. I think that the, the message of what we stand for actually hasn't changed I in that I do think America, Democrats are for building a stronger America that actually is centered around An economy that works for all, that like puts the middle class, puts a back, as Joe Biden likes to say, rebuilds the backbone of this country. And I think we now, the challenge is that felt like rhetoric for a lot of Americans, right? The Democrats have been saying it. Now we can actually go to the American people with some actual proof points of what we've done, right? We have made the largest investment in infrastructure in a generation to rebuild the roads and bridges and create millions of good paying jobs investing in this country. We've passed a huge investment in manufacturing around semiconductors and research and development and the technologies of future, which is also gonna create millions of good jobs so that we are not relying on China for semiconductors, but actually being able to create these industries here at home. We've rebuilt, we are gonna build the clean energy industry here at home so that we are actually creating good paying union jobs to build wind and solar and batteries and cars here in America that we can export to the rest of the world. So it's not just rhetoric, but we actually now have a proof point. The name of the legislation is less important than saying we actually got these things done. And then I think you get to the contrast, which I think we're really coalescing around as a party, which is, this is not your father's Republican party. The Republican party has been taken over by these MAGA extremists and all they wanna do is gain power. And when they're in power, all they wanna do is tear things down, right? They wanna take away people's social security and Medicare. It's not just Rick Scott who's introduced a plan to end social security every five years. But last week, Ron Johnson came out and said, we should make it discretionary. Social security should be on the chopping block every year. They wanna take that away. They still wanna take, obviously we know, not only have they MAGA extremists in the courts overturned a woman's right to make her own decisions on abortion and reproductive health and freedom, they've made clear that if they get in power, they are going to take away every woman's right. This is They will pass a national ban on abortion that will strip that fundamental right away from everyone. You go to healthcare, I mean, you go down the list, we've become the party of building something that actually puts the middle class at the center. And they are a party of extreme radicals who want to tear things away from people, including their fundamental rights, including the right to vote and actually having your vote count. So this, the last month and a half of progress, I think really creates some proof points so that we can tell the story with confidence, not that we're sharing rhetoric that we might have shared for 10 years, but now we have some real accomplishments to show that we're actually backing up that rhetoric with some, some proof.
0: I wrote in Newsweek about a week ago that I think this will help on the margin because it's going to help with young voters, low propensity to turn out voters who may have been looking for some some kind of delivery on climate and it may help with actual swing voters in blunting the inflation narrative and as you just said kind of giving us a proof point to talk about what we're doing on the biggest concern on voters' minds. Is that the way you you sort of see it in, in the numbers that you're constantly reviewing?
1: I've become a big believer, Matt,
0: that the earned media environment matters a
1: ton. And the reason Democrats were in terrible shape a month ago is that what was the conversation in this country? It was all about, as you said at the top, Democrats in disarray, inflation, gas prices, supply chains, all of these stories nationally, locally, We're really about dysfunction, Democratic dysfunction, the inability to get anything done. What's the conversation been the last two months? It's been about Republican extremism, right? We've been talking about overturning Roe. These hearings on January 6th have been a huge reminder of what this Republican Party has become and their willingness to overturn an election in order to stay in power and The economic conversation has become a lot more positive in that Democrats are there's a slew of positive stories of Democrats getting things done. And so I think that dynamic has shifted dramatically. And so if we're having that conversation in September and October about their extremism and Democratic accomplishments, I feel way better. It's still a tough, tough thing for a party in power to to avoid losing seats. But we're in way better shape than the conversation being about Democratic dysfunction and inflation.
0: Democrats have just passed maybe the capstone of President Biden's legislative agenda, the Inflation Reduction Act, and it comes at the tail end of a remarkable string of legislative successes that I rattled off at the top of the show, but also you could look at it in sort of this this larger context of what has he done in his first year and a half? And it really is, it compares positively in a historic sense to Any president in living memory, certainly in the last five or six decades, there are historians who are saying, look, this this compares favorably to LBJ's accomplishments in the Great Society program. We have seen, in addition to all of the accomplishments of this summer, there was the American Recovery Act, which lifted 3 million American children out of poverty. There was the infrastructure bill. There was, of course, what I alluded to before, that competitiveness bill, the CHIPS Act, and now the Inflation Reduction Act. $3.5 trillion of investment in America, and most of it, the vast majority of it passed on a bipartisan basis. And yet, and yet, and yet, America is beset by some let's go Brandon energy. For some reason, there's anger out there on the right about Joe Biden and his seemingly anodyne call for, hey, what if we kind of got along and got some stuff done in America? How about that? and his approval rating remains historically low. Why? Why is Joe Biden's approval rating so low? I,
1: I mean, I think that that is honestly, it's a question we're all gonna scratch our heads on a little bit, except that I think the key is we've gone through a little whiplash in the last month. And so it'll be really interesting to watch these numbers moving forward. A month ago, Every story was about: Is Joe Biden going to run again? And is the <clears throat> is his presidency been a complete failure? Everyone. I mean, I was talking to a reporter yesterday. He's like, "Oh boy, I guess we all have to rewrite our narratives now because everything has changed in the last month." And it really has. the le- The legislative accomplishments in the last month have revived his presidency, and that takes time for the average American to sort of compute. So I think I think you will see, I would be surprised, candidly, if you didn't see his numbers tick up in the next few weeks and months, just because all of these successes are going to start to trickle down, right? He signs, he actually formally signs the Chips and Science Act tomorrow on Tuesday. And so I think the stories will start to really, he'll sign the Burns Act pit, helping veterans. It's the sort of largest expansions of veteran healthcare on Wednesday. So All these things take time for the average American to sort of hear about them and filter down. That being said, the era of politics we're in now is just so much more polarized that the notion that the, the same party that still believes that pushing lies about the 2020 election being stolen are gonna ever give this president a strong job approval rating is impossible. That's just unfortunately not the country we live in and I, I, so I would feel optimistic that you would start to see Joe Biden's numbers tick in the right direction. It's really well deserved given the story, but there's going to just be a ceiling on that, and that we've seen that in the last 20 years. Politics has changed so dramatically that the the ability for Republicans to feel good about a Democrat when they're in the White House, and unfortunately vice versa, has really shifted. And so we just live in a much more polarized climate, and the president is sort of captive to that.
2: I did an interview the other day with a, a paper from New York, probably a right-leaning paper, who called me up and said, so so why is Buttigieg ahead of Biden in New Hampshire with New Hampshire Democrats? And I talked about the eccentric New Hampshire folks, and you got to wait till after the midterms to see how things really are. And yes, there's a very strong progressive wing and Bernie does really well here. And, and then we have a big bench and there are a lot, 13 people in there and, and, and forget about it is basically, is, is basically what I said. And I've got I've got what may be an odd and, for me, not unusual, that's a double negative, a usually superficial view of things, which is that Joe Biden, for all the great accomplishments he's had, still sounding a little bit tired when he talks. He doesn't project this virile, masculine, presidential stuff that a superficial electorate seems to want. I'm not sure that that uh, will go away, even with the accomplishments. Maybe he'll, he'll feel his oats more, but I'm not sure that can go away. And then talking generally about the past six to seven weeks, which have been unquestionably good for Democrats. I mean, the generic ballot has moved about two points in our direction. That historically is a much more accurate predictor of the midterm. So going from doom and gloom Two months ago, to a change in the generic ballot that is pretty significant. Gas prices are dropping. Do you think what What do you think has been the major reason that we're seeing this shift in the in the Democratic ballot, uh, the generic ballot? Is it is it is it Dobbs? Is it gas prices? Probably not recent accomplishments because that takes a while to sink in. Why do you think we're seeing that kind of movement?
1: I actually think that the the primary reason is that this election has moved in the last few months from being a referendum on Joe Biden and Democrats to being a choice. And Dobbs precipitated that in a way that the challenge in every midterm for the party in power is how do you get your side excited? you're in power, you're in control of government, what are they energized to come out and do? You're already in power. And and the lack of accomplishments, as we talked about, made that really hard because I think the folks who had 81 million who had turned out to elect Joe Biden and put Democrats in power felt like they hadn't really gotten to be very transactional about it, a great return on their investment. I think with Dobbs, with the January 6th hearing, a lot of Americans, particularly the base Democrats, woke up and go, whoa, there's a lot more we have to lose. <laughs> and that what Republicans and these MAGA extremists are really promising is to strip away a set of things that I have taken for granted as fundamental rights, right? And And abortion has unquestionably been the center of that. But I think now, The fact that abortion has been, the right to an abortion has been overturned makes all these other things that they are threatening to take away, right? Defunding all, ending all federal funding for public education in this country, cutting, ending social security and Medicare, (laughs) banning books, canceling votes and overturning elections. Like suddenly all of these things that they say they wanna do feel a lot more credible and you're seeing our side and this is what I think has really resulted in the shift in the generic is that a a lot more democratic voters and even independents who might not love what Democrats have done or certainly didn't seven weeks ago (laughs) are now realizing, oh my gosh, the alternative. And the other thing that's been going on, depending on where you are in the country, are these primaries. Suddenly you're hearing about Dr. Oz and Doug Mastriano, if you're in in Pennsylvania, You're hearing about Blake Master and Kerry Lake and Herschel Walker, and you've got your crew in New Hampshire of, of Senate candidates that are, right? Everyone's yeah. like, whoa, like these people are scary and I could lose something. And that shift from, this is always the thing that a party in power wants a midterm to be, which is a choice. It's the always the hardest thing to make a midterm because one party's in power. The instinct is it's a referendum. We are on our way, a lot more work to do, but we are on our way to making November a choice election. We now have some real accomplishments to offer people. I don't think that's the difference maker, it matters. I think sharpening what Republicans would do, and you see this, Mitch McConnell suddenly has changed his tune from being confident that he's gonna be majority leader to making comments over the weekend that will maybe we'll be in power, maybe they'll be in power, it's gonna be close they recognize that they have some real liabilities that the American people have started to focus on.
0: Yeah. I do want to put that question in the parking lot of kind of putting some numbers and, and what defining what success looks like. But I, I want to hit on one, one piece of what you just said, because as much as that is sort of the challenge of holding surf, when you are the party entering, especially a president's, you, you hold the white house in your party, you're entering that first midterm and it really, the onus is on you to not make it a referendum. And it's always a thermostatic reaction from the American public. It's always like, whatever I just said it to, I want to, I want to pendulum swing the other way. That's always a challenge. But the other thing that's kind of underlying some of Republicans' confidence, some of what Karl Rove was saying in the Wall Street Journal, and some of what Republicans are privately texting me is, It can always come back to the economy, stupid. It can always come back to, look, say what you will. But right now, the number one issue we see in poll after poll on on voters' Mm -hmm. minds is the economy and inflation. And they kind of glommed those two issues together. That's what I want to ask you about, because I have lived through this painfully. Paul has lived through this painfully in the 2010 cycle. What you're going through when you're in the party in power and there's a perception that the economy is bad, is that you are implicitly telling voters, look, we have a good story to tell and Who are you going to believe? Us or your lion eyes? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the position that Democrats are still in now, despite some of the the positives we've seen. It's a very mixed picture economically. So last week, we got this monster jobs report. We have the lowest unemployment rate, 3.46% the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. Wages are up sharply. So basically, anyone who wants a job these days can get one, and at record rates, Americans are quitting their jobs to level up to even better jobs. It's it's a tremendous jobs environment. And yet, two straight quarters of GDP GDP decline and inflation. And so how you're the expert on this. How do Democrats talk about the economy as the number one issue on voters' minds over the next few months? How do they thread that needle where they don't seem out of touch? They don't seem like they're talking over people's very real concerns in their lives, but they also don't buy into this idea from Republicans that the economy is a basket case. How how should they message that? I think the
1: key, well, first of all, I I agree completely. Like the, the headwinds, have are still there. And that's still primarily inflation. I mean, that is that is not a small thing. But it I think I just want to put this in context, Republicans should be running away with this election. And that hasn't happened. And that despite the fact that there's 9% inflation, despite the fact that Biden's approval rating is low, all of these things should be despite the fact that Democrats are in, like, so the narrative to me is not one that the wind is completely at our backs by any stretch, just that it should be a really, really tough environment. And suddenly, and this was the thing I would key off on what you said, Matt, the economy is a mixed bag. And we should lean into that, which is there are some really historic levels of economic growth in terms of job creation that we should be talking about. And that would not have happened but for Democrats, and Joe Biden and the investments we have made in the last year to be having unemployment this low is a, as you said, a 50-year record. Jobs are a plenty. That doesn't mean that people aren't still struggling. And we've got to make, we've got to hit on that fact that families are still dealing with high costs. And guess what? Democrats have done something about it. We haven't solved the problem, but we have taken a step by passing the Inflation Reduction Act that is gonna lower energy costs, that is gonna lower prescription drug and healthcare costs, that is gonna ask the wealthy to finally start paying a bit more of their fair share. And so I think we haven't solved the problem, but we are absolutely making investments and passing legislation. So I think we can acknowledge that we have made progress and there are still challenges that we are trying to solve for. And then every election is a choice. And we've got to remind people, not only did Republicans vote against the Inflation Reduction Act that would have actually lowered costs for energy and healthcare, what is their biggest solution when it comes to inflation? They wanna provide more tax cuts to corporations and the wealthy. They wanna cut social security and Medicare. They wanna force the people who are already living paycheck to paycheck seniors on fixed income to actually have to be terrified that social security be wiped out every year or cut back every year. So I think we have to acknowledge that people are struggling. It's a huge mistake to brush past that, but it isn't that the only narrative right now, this isn't the economy of 2010. So I think this is to to kind of go through the challenges congressmen faced 12 years ago. We didn't have growth then. We had huge job losses then it was a really bad economy on many levels. This is a different story. Jobs are plenty, as you said, wages are up and unemployment is down. we got to capture that, own it. Yet there are some real struggles that we're fighting to fix. So it's it's a bit more of a mixed bag than Republicans would like it to be.
2: Let's remember that the Supreme Court just took away a woman's right to choose and soon they want to take everybody's rights for, for every kind of liberty and in the wake of Dobbs, we've got trigger trigger states going, going wild with abortion restrictions happening all over the country, Indiana with an almost total ban. And then, golly, we come to Kansas and the Wicked Witch of the West lands. And all of a sudden in Kansas, there's a huge win, which goes against what seems to be the, the grain of the waving wheat in Kansas, where it's all tilted right. And all of a sudden, we see this huge win in this crazy conservative state. Now, Democrats are certainly hoping that the abortion issue is going to be a turnout motivator, because as we talked about earlier in the show, the party in power is always worried about turning out its base, and we're still facing headwinds. So we're hoping that this will be the thing that turns out Democrats. Will it? Or won't it? Does Dobbs really matter? Is it a significant midterm factor?
1: Oh, I think it's huge, but here's the thing I'd say, Paul, in terms of why it matters. The worst thing you can do in politics is take something away from the American people that is important to them. That is the that is the, word, the cardinal sin in politics is taking something away from people that they think is important. One of the reasons the ACA was such a liability in 2010 or was perceived as a liability, people didn't know much about it, but they they believed that their healthcare was in jeopardy, that the healthcare for the people who had healthcare, <laughs> they were worried that they would lose the quality of healthcare, that even if they weren't happy with it, something was gonna be taken away. Now, here we are 10 years later, And why is the ACA so popular? (laughs) Because people have something that they really, really enjoy. And the Republicans came along in 2018, and the threat of taking away something that a lot of people enjoyed. And so Dobbs, it is, I think, for a lot of people, in and of itself a motivator, because 30 million women have lost the right to that reproductive freedom. And I think that is, and should be a galvanizing issue. And all women in this country are at risk of losing that right if MAGA Republicans are in charge in Washington, because they have made it clear they will pass a national ban on abortion. So I don't care if you live in Vermont or if you live in California and you think you're protected, they are coming for a national ban on abortion and you will lose that right. But there's so much more. And this is, as I was saying before, it is a proof point of what their agenda is, which is to take away a lot of things that Americans hold dear, like Social Security and Medicare, like your right to vote. There is probably nothing that Americans think of as more American than being able to pick your elected leader, cast that ballot and have confidence that your vote is counted. They are making clear in these states across the country (laughs) that they don't care who votes, they're going to make sure that they win these elections, irrespective of who actually votes. right? Doug Mastriano, the Governor in Pennsylvania, has said, I get to decertify whichever machines I want to decertify. Like, so I think that is what we have to re- that as Kansas is Kansas's indicative. abortion for sure, plus the Republican agenda is one that involves stripping away fundamental rights and freedoms that Americans hold dear. And we've got to put that at the center of our conversation the next 90 days.
0: I argued in another Newsweek article, not the one I mentioned earlier, a couple of months ago, that we need to redefine what success looks like for Democrats. I think you made a really outstanding point a moment ago that by all lights, Republicans should be absolutely running away with things right now. The fact that they're not should suggest to them that they've got a a major problem here. Now, the way I put it is, look, I still see, as you alluded to, those major headwinds, especially in the House of Representatives. We know because of sorting and gerrymandering and all kinds of things, it is just going to be an uphill climb. And I think prediction models are, are still saying, 85% chance of Republicans winning the House. But for the same reason in a football game that you'd rather face third and five than third and 15, keeping it close matters. I think there's a big difference between losing by 30 or 40 seats and losing by fewer than 20 seats. So I suggested that that was one benchmark that Democrats should be shooting for. Obviously keeping the Senate, again, as you alluded to on the testimony of Mitch McConnell, no less, keeping the Senate, is in play. It's a possibility. And then there are some really important governor, state legislative, and secretary of state races, where there are big lie, extremist, MAGA, insane people on the ballot right now who could be in charge of these places. And preventing them from taking charge is another benchmark of success. How do you, I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction that puts you in a very uncomfortable position. You can go there if you want, I'm not going to ask it of you, but how do you define success? What would a successful midterms look like for Democrats?
1: I mean, I, I actually agree with I, I don't want to give up hope, obviously, on the keeping control of the House and all of the models suggest that's impossible. But I also think the models are based on historical data. And I just think we're in a very, very different moment in history right now, given who the Republican Party has become I don't know that there's a precedent for this moment that makes it quite as simple as 83% chance or whatever. 538 is projecting today that Democrats will lose the House. That being said, yes, I, I think winning as many seats as we can is the short answer, and I think there's no question that we the Democrats have a chance of keeping the House. I mean, the Senate. Um, a lot of these important center, uh, governor's races in Wisconsin, in Michigan, Pennsylvania. Arizona, that are going to be hugely determinative of the 2024 presidential election and of Secretary of State races down ballot and Attorney General races. I I also think all of those, I think, matter. I find that I know it's a fun game in Washington in terms of the prognostication. I really like to focus on the things we can control over the next 90 days. And I think this conversation really illustrates to my mind the opportunity. We, we now have a real story to tell about what we have done. We've got to remind people, it's easy to forget that when Joe Biden and Democrats took control, 4,000 Americans were dying every day. 10 million Americans had lost their jobs. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses had been closed. Like, there is a narrative that we cannot forget about where we started, the progress we've made, the work we want to do moving forward, and then continuing to remind people of the choice they face. And I think if the conversation in September and October focuses on what Republicans promised to do and what Democrats have gotten done, I I think we're in a real, that is the most terrifying thing for Republicans. (laughs) That if they are a part of the conversation in September and October, their chances of winning are very, very low. (laughs) That if we're talking about abortion and social security, and healthcare in those few months, they're in real trouble. And we control that. We get to actually drive that conversation. And and that, that will lead to, I think, some surprising outcomes in
0: November. Well, I think that's really the key there, isn't it? It's that just to bring this full circle, it's not that the Inflation Reduction Act on its own is going to change the midterm elections. It's not a motor... It's a sale. And really, I mean, just to make a, a, another metaphor, it's sort of like the rug in the Big Lebowski. It sort of ties the whole room together. There is there is a story that Democrats have to tell. And this becomes kind of a centerpiece, a proof point that really does tie it all together. Naveen Nayak, thank you so much. No one knows these issues better than you do. We really appreciate your analysis. And we hope that everything you've just explained turns out to be right. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks for having me on Real Fun.